0: Welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. Welcome back after the holidays. This week we're talking about The Flight Attendant, Folklore, The Long Pond Sessions, and Wonder Woman 1984. So, KW. Yes. You recently got HBO Max and you've been posting all this stuff about how much you love the flight attendant. I'm oh, yes. very curious. So, tell me all about it, please. Yes.
1: That's been like a fun thing to do over our little holiday break. I've been just binging a bunch of stuff on HBO Max and it has swiftly become my most used streaming service. Nice. And I'm re- I'm really surprised because I we mostly got it to watch Wonder Woman 1984 when it came out on Christmas Day, but like my husband and I have been watching so much stuff on there. It's, <laughs> it's super fun. So I'm going to be like the next few episodes are probably going to be very HBO Max. <laughs> 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 but it's a really I I definitely it's one of the more expensive services. So that's kind of a downside. But I think it really offers a lot of value with original series and movies. But the flight attendant is an original series. It started in November of 2020. And It's based on a novel. I cannot pronounce the author's last name. It's Beaujolais. Chris Beaujolais is the author. But if you look for the the flight attendant novel, I think you'll find it. And I have not read the book. My mom has. And so she's going to loan me her copy. Nice. But it stars Kaylee Cuoco from Big Bang Theory in the title role. And it's really a departure for her. I don't I never really watched the Big Bang Theory, but I watched enough to kind of get a feel for it. And I saw her she used to be on Charmed, which is where I mostly mm. know her from. And like she's very much I would say she's a comedic actress, mostly. Right. And she does get to use that skill here. But this is a action drama mystery caper dark psychological story. Like it's all right. over the place, which is really cool. I that's something I like about it. But she's a flight attendant named Cassie, and she is on a flight to Bangkok. And she meets this guy, Alex, and he seems really cool. And they have this, like, really whirlwind little, like, romance in one night, basically. Like, they they really bond. And it's it's really kind of cute watching some of their flashbacks together. But then she wakes up in the morning to find him dead beside her. Uh-oh. And she's – the other thing is that she's an alcoholic and she's in denial. So she kind of just thinks she had an alcoholic blackout, but she also doesn't know if – she killed him in her blackout or if somebody if she was so passed out that she wouldn't wake up to have somebody getting murdered next to her so and her best friend is annie played by zoja mamet and she's a lawyer and so she consults with her to say she calls her in the morning and is like hey if i'm suspected of murder (laughs) in bangkok (laughs) teehee (laughs) should I call the cops or and her friend not knowing the context thinks she's just hypothesizing and is like yeah that's the worst place to get arrested so I would flee but it's sort of like not actual advice and so she does take that advice and she just flees and goes back home and acts like nothing's wrong but she also gets kind of sucked into trying to figure out who really killed this guy Mm -hmm. and In the meantime, she also, as she's piecing together what happened to him, she has these like internal dialogues with herself, but she's projecting Alex as this hypothetical person that she's bouncing these ideas off of. Okay. And so you still get to see him. And it's really kind of sad because even though it's her and she knows it's not really him, he's not a ghost haunting her. It's just her own imagination. And she realizes that, but she's conceptualizing her imagination as him. And it's like you sort of see her falling in love with this idea of him over time. And that's really sad because he's dead. (laughs) so, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there's also some other good characters. Her brother is played by T.R. Knight from Grey's Anatomy. And um, there's this mysterious lady spy named Miranda who's played by Michelle Gomez, who is amazing in everything. (laughs) She's from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Doctor Who and... And yeah, every, oh, and Rosie Perez is another flight attendant, and she's kind of got an interesting storyline that's, I don't want to spoil that. Okay. But yeah, every character is really fun. It's very mysterious. Every episode ends on kind of a cliffhanger. There's really good music. There's really good cinematography. And Kaylee is just, I hope she gets nominated for an Emmy because she's very good at playing like the, the broad kind of capery things about it, but also this deep stuff with like flashbacks to her childhood. And the other thing that's it's produced by Greg Berlanti, who is more known for like Supernatural and like a bunch of CW shows. But I think in this, he really stretches himself as a showrunner and, and shows that he can include some uh, more dramatic things. But it does have a little bit of that kind of tone of more comedic genre fiction. So okay, yeah, I think you would really love it there are moments that are that are kind of powerful. And I teared up a few times. But it's also like, it's just kind of a fun ride. So yeah, yeah,
0: that does sound like a lot of fun. I would really like to check it out. The book came out relatively recently, I think, or maybe it just showed up in my library like a year or two ago. Yeah. And I remember wanting to check it out, but I never did. So yeah, that sounds really cool. And when you read the book, you will also give us an update on how similar they are.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I I think I remember the book coming out and it's from 2018. So it is pretty recent, but I feel like it was marketed with more of its thriller elements and maybe the tone is a little different. So, so yeah, I'll be interested to read that. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. (laughs) So you, you have been watching something else though, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a one-off. Yeah. It's not a series, but I, I
0: recently watched Folklore, the Long Pond Sessions, which is on Disney plus. And it's a Taylor Swift special. Folklore came out in July, and this is just a stripped down, like a living room concert version of it. Uh-huh. So, we talked about folklore a little while ago, uh-huh. and we talked about Aaron Desner, who's from The National. He co wrote a lot, he, co- he produced a lot of the music. So, it takes place at Long Pond Studio, which is a studio in upstate New York. And it's owned by Aaron Dessner of the National, uh-huh. which is why when we okay, so I was watching it and we saw the the like establishing shot of it, and my friend Erica was like, "That's that's the barn on the National cover," <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No way, no way," <laughs> but it is it's the same barn because it's owned by him, which I now know. So <laughs> I think <laughs> because he produced a lot of the music and co-wrote, he must have like invited her up there and. Jack Antonoff from The Bleachers is also there. So they basically just perform the whole album with the three of them. Mm. Yeah, it's a little little studio. And like Jack is on drums sometimes. And Aaron plays the piano a lot. And the, and they play the guitar. So it's really a stripped down version of the album, which is really cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I always love things like that. I remember, I think we talked about this when, when Lover came out, her... Maybe seventh studio album.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I didn't really appreciate it until she put out a concert, an acoustic concert of it. And then I was like, oh, I like this music a lot more. So I tend to just oh. gravitate toward the acoustic, more acoustic versions of stuff. Uh-huh. So it was really cool to see that. But what I really enjoyed about it was it's not just a concert, it's a little bit of a documentary because the three of them just kind of sit around and talk about about their inspirations behind the songs. Mm. And I just really love getting a glimpse of what writers and artists are thinking about when they create. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool just to see some background about how the songs came to be. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I I don't have like a ton to say about it. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) But it did. It did give me some insight into some of the songs that I hadn't had before. Uh And with Evermore coming out recently, it's sort of a continuation of what she did in folklore. And she's, you know, writing more from a third person perspective and writing more narrative driven works. Uh And it's just really interesting to see where some of those come from. Uh And the song Epiphany, Uh which I have always loved, but I wasn't totally sure... What it was about, mm-hmm. well, first of all, I watch a lot of things with captions, so it's really cool to see to see the definitive words of the song versus just what I maybe am accidentally hearing.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So Epiphany was really interesting because she wrote the first verse about her grandfather who was in World War II, mm-hmm. and the later verses are about nurses and doctors in the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, yeah. And like, I sort of got that while I was listening to it, I got the second part, but I never really understood the first part and like how it connected. Mm -hmm. So just little things like that. I really enjoy hearing explained. And, you know, honestly, I could, because it felt so intimate too. like, I could just listen to authors and musicians, and just any sort of creative people talk about their influences and what they're trying to do with their works. Mm -hmm. For a long time. Okay. You know, like I want to sit around that fire, that campfire with them and <laughs> and drink wine and just
1: <laughs> chat about creativity. <laughs> I, right there. Yes. yes. That sounds really cozy. Like I want to watch that with like a big mug of tea and knitting and just kind of yes. like a blanket. And it sounds yeah. very cozy.
0: Absolutely. I think you would very much enjoy it. Cool. In that way.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. hmm. You're
0: welcome. Sorry I wasn't super
1: in depth about it, but That's okay. Well that's that's on Disney Plus, right? <laughs> yes, correct. Have you do you find that you're using Disney Plus a lot or no? No, I kind of use it for
0: very specific things. Okay. So I'm watching the Star Wars stuff, mm-hmm. but I haven't explored it all that much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I'm finding that I'm not using it as much as I thought I would, but I wanna like not do better but i want to get into watching more movies on there so yeah Yeah. okay cool
0: if i find any that i think are really interesting i'll let you know
1: okay cool and you do the same please yes absolutely (laughs) cool but we recently watched something we both watched something on hbo max though right and that was wonder woman 1984 ww (laughs) 84 that's right did you watch it on christmas day
0: I did, actually. I was surprised that my mom wanted to watch it, too, so we watched it that night. Cool. Mm -hmm. Did you watch it on – you did watch it on Christmas Day. I did, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was was my Christmas Day evening. Yeah, and I I know both of us really liked the original. Did you like the Mm -hmm. original a lot? I know that you were a little bit more of a fan of Captain Marvel in terms of female superhero movies.
0: Yeah, I think they all have something different to offer, so I really loved – I really loved Captain Marvel in a lot of ways, but I honestly really also really loved the original Wonder Woman, and a lot of that had to do with the time period it was set during World War One, mm-hmm. and I sort of like that historical take on it.
1: Yeah.
0: So, it was the question was did I like it as much as those?
1: Yeah, like how would you position if these three, if we're talking about these three movies, what was your favorite, middle, and least favorite? Oh gosh. Okay.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's really unfair of me to rank them because okay. they are very different. Yeah. And I think I think I'm going to have to watch this one again. Okay. But what I what I really liked about it was the depth of the characterization for the villains, mm-hmm. which you don't get very often in superhero movies. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how to state this, but the superpowers that she utilizes in this movie are felt, to me, very feminine-coded. Mm. And it was an emphasis on like peace and truth and seeing the good in humanity, which I think is really not unusual, but really not talked about a lot in superhero stuff anymore. We're sort of in this gritty
1: place i don't okay let's you know what let's let's reel it back (laughs) how would you rank them (laughs) i would probably say i liked the first wonder woman the best and then captain marvel and then this one but it doesn't mean i didn't like this one and i know this one is kind of polarizing and maybe we should say that and there are some Mm -hmm. problematic elements but overall i think you're right there is a lot of there was a big emphasis on truth there was a big emphasis on like discovering additional powers. And I have a very controversial opinion about Wonder Woman's ability to fly, but we'll maybe get into that later. Okay. And there was some really iconic moments that were really beautiful Mm -hmm. and some interesting character work. And you're right about the villains, although I wish there'd been more with Cheetah. And I think that's one fair criticism. Yeah. So like, if we just basically quickly sum up the plot, it's set in 1984 and Diana works at the Smithsonian. Mm Mm-hmm. And she meets this other scientist there who has discovered this weird stone that can grant any wish. And Diana inadvertently wishes that Steve Trevor, who died in the first Wonder Woman movie, was still alive. And so he comes back to life and an unscrupulous oil baron gets a hold of the stone and all havoc breaks loose. Would you say that's sort of (laughs) I think that's pretty fair yeah there's a lot of plot here and it's two and a half hours long
0: yeah I actually
1: did think it was it was too long yes I agree yeah I don't know that I actually looked at my watch because I kept like pausing it but I also thought later like man I really had to take a lot of beverage breaks and stuff like this (laughs) is unusually long yeah that was us too. We, <laughs> we paused for food twice. We yeah. pa- I paused it to take the dog out. <laughs> so it took like all night. This was an undertaking. Yeah. But sure. I think that's one of the benefits of, I wonder if they would have made it shorter if it had had more of a traditional theatrical release. That's a good question. I don't know. Because streaming, the nice thing about that is you can pause it and it does break the narrative flow, but it also... If you pause it at natural pausing moments of like less action, you know, it's not that bad. And if you're usually just pausing it for a few minutes. Yeah. I remember when I went to see what was the last Avengers movie? Endgame. End, Endgame that I had to read up on because it's like, what, four hours long or whatever. <laughs> like, here's when you can go to the bathroom. And I remember making a point of like, okay, I can, okay, there's the Hulk just kind of hanging out. That's supposed to be one of the points that you can miss, and it's okay. So I snuck out. Did the whole theater sneak out in that scene?
0: No, over? no.
1: But I was glad that I was with other people to be like, okay, did I? Everything's cool. And then I later had yeah. them recap for me what I missed. But <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm not generally a fan of movies that go beyond 2 hours that is kind of a commitment even though i'll binge 3 episodes of an hour long drama in a night but i
0: won't i, won't. I know it just makes sense right
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think it's like it's something about there's there's a little bit of an exhaustion of a narrative that's especially with an action movie mm-hmm. if it's just barreling at you for 3 hours that's that's a different experience than 3 discrete episodes of a tv show where even if there's a narrative arc there's still discrete storyline in each episode. So I think it's more about, it's about the mental capacity to sustain the same story for that long.
0: Yeah. So do you want to address the problematic things first or do you just want to? Well, you know, nothing's perfect,
1: right? Nothing's perfect. Yeah. And I
0: think everyone has a threshold of if the problematic elements outweigh the good elements, that's your own that's your own threshold. Yeah. So you have to make that decision on your own. We're not We're not going to say this movie is amazing and perfect and wonderful, but, you know, we enjoyed the parts that we did enjoy. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, as essentially cultural critics, we have to make that determination. One thing that a lot of, especially scholars of gender studies and feminist theory and stuff are having a quandary about is that when Diana wishes Steve back to life he doesn't regenerate his old body he sort of inhabits the body of a stranger he's a real person who exists and there's some issues of you know their time together being romantic and issues of consent and that this poor guy whose body was taken over didn't necessarily agree to any of this and that that's not great but at the same time there is there is a trope especially in 80s movies of so-called body swap films and That's true. I want to believe that it's more of an homage to that or it's an artifact of multiple script rewrites or something because I really wish that it hadn't been done that way and it didn't need to be done that way because it was he's regenerated as a product of magic mm-hmm. so I don't know that it was necessary to have him inhabit this poor other guy like that didn't make a lot of sense to me and it's gross when you think about it too much you know yeah I don't think it negates the whole rest of the film and there's multiple ways to interpret things that go on but you know it bothered me in the moment and I you know I see a lot of criticism about that especially on Twitter and it's a bit of a plot hole and a bit of a thing that I wish they had thought through some more
0: yeah I agree I didn't really understand why they needed to do it that way. Mhm. Uh-huh. But just from a writing perspective, there is that scene toward the beginning where from Diana's perspective, this random dude has been sort of following her, trying to get her attention, and she's just like, "No, I don't know you, go away." Uh-huh. And they're at a party and he he gives her a watch, which is a contemporary watch, not his 1918 watch. Mhm. Uh-huh. And he does the same thing that he did in movie one, which is he he gives it to her, puts his hand over it and says, I wish we had more time. And that's how she realizes it's him. And then she sort of starts to see him with different eyes and she can she can see that it's him. Uh And I really from a narrative point of view, I feel like that plot point might have been might have arisen out of that scene. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they were like, let's do a really romantic, cool, magical reunion scene between them. And mm-hmm. then it sort of built out from there, mm-hmm. which doesn't excuse the fact that it's there, but just I could see maybe why they
1: wanted to go that way. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that moment is also in. I'm not sure if they purposely did this, but it seems like it's an allusion to the time travel movie Somewhere in Time, where Mm -hmm. Christopher Reeve meets this old woman who gives him a pocket watch. And she says, come back to me. And then she goes away. And I think she even dies. And he goes to investigate who is this woman? I don't know her. And he finds out that she was this beautiful young woman in the early 1900s who lived in this hotel. And he learns how to travel back in time and meet her. And he Mm -hmm. leaves the pocket watch there when he accidentally time travels back to his present. And so it creates this paradox. And so he didn't recognize her or know her, but it was this link and whatever. And that's cool. But <laughs> if <laughs> if you already have magic and weird, yeah. like non-real science or whatever, you can do a lot of other things that could make that scene still happen without there being this dubious consent issue right? with this poor guy who's played by like, I know that actor, I care his name, He's Christopher Palua or something. And he's, he was on this CW show called Life Unexpected that I used to watch. And he's credited as just handsome man at the end. <laughs> I wondered too, if there was the idea that maybe she would fall in love with him. And mm-hmm. but it's just, it's troubling. Yeah,
0: I felt like it is maybe one of those things that could have been explored if you hadn't packed so much into this two and a half hours because there was a lot yeah and i do think they tried to raise it because there's this one scene where they're in diana's apartment and it really ties into her arc too which Mm -hmm. is that she's been alone for a long time it's the 80s it looks it seems like etta was old and maybe the 50s so It's probably about 20 years since she died. So she hasn't had any friends. And she doesn't really let herself become close to anyone. So part of her arc is like, what do I deserve? Do I deserve to take anything for myself? Uh But part of that conversation that they have, and it's very short, and I wish they would have done a little bit more with it. But Steve just kind of alludes to the fact that this can't be forever because I'm in this other dude's body and he deserves a life too. Yeah. And she's just like, why can't I have something that I want? So I think they maybe tried to address it a little bit Uh and it sort of ties into Diana's selfishness, Uh but it didn't really, it didn't really fit for me. It didn't. I just felt like, yeah, you're right. It's they, they could have done a lot. Yeah. They could have done it differently. They could have done a lot more with it.
1: Yeah, especially because she's not unselfish, but we haven't met her selfish side before. And we right. see it more in this. And, you know, that's part of her arc that she needs to release that and move beyond it. And, and you know, and I think that she achieves that. But but yeah, since we didn't see her as a selfish being in the first movie, um, it was jarring. So,
0: yeah, but I thought very interesting to see
1: yeah i mean she's she's a she's got elements of you know godlike abilities but she's still a person and it's good to see that even wonder woman is flawed Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and i think we don't really allow female protagonists to be as flawed as we allow male protagonists to be yes so i really enjoyed that exploration of
1: of her yeah I remember when Buffy was still on, there was a lot of discussion of her being jerky in the last season. But it's like, if she were a dude and had gone through all the stuff that she went through, nobody'd even be mad. And another movie I watched over the holidays was the Lego Batman movie. And <laughs> Lego Batman is a straight up jerk and has to learn <laughs> to not be a jerk. And it's like, it's a comedic take on the fact that Batman is a very troubled guy and not a nice guy. And like, you would yeah. not want to hang out with him.
0: And we let
1: him be like that through all these. And we, we like that about him, I guess. He's a loner. He's but they they ramp up the satirical element of it of like, no, he's, he's a villain in a lot of ways, you know? (laughs) Right. And not that I, I mean, I don't want Wonder Woman to be a villain at all. But to let her have a moment of fallibility, you know, we we give a pass to a lot of male superheroes you're right for having moments of fallibility and we don't let women do that so yeah but there's other cool things about it that are positive like pedro pascal i thought was really good as max lord the main villain and i've gotten to really like him through the mandalorian and other things that i've seen him in it it's funny i'm watching the good wife the old cbs legal drama and he Mm -hmm. has a recurring character as um, an assistant district attorney and he's so young; he's just a baby, <laughs> and it's hilarious. And he comes; he pops up randomly, and I'm like, "Oh, it's it's Mando." <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about this, but there have also I've seen some takes that are unhappy with the way that WW eighty four handled the Middle Eastern storyline. Oh, do you want to talk about that at all?
1: I feel like I either was not paying enough attention to it to have an opinion of it or what what are people's take on that
0: i think they were just like this is racist (laughs) oh okay because of the one guy who wants all the infidels out of his country and then there's another guy shown who is wishing for nuclear weapons or
1: something yeah that's not ideal i think there was so much in it that there was a point probably around that point in the film when i got a little narratively fatigued, so I wasn't yeah. as attentive to it. That's not awesome. I think, too, that you could you could even say that Max's character is a little bit problematic because he is played as more clearly Latino than even Pedro Pascal is in other roles that he mm-hmm. plays, and he is a villain, but I think they also show some really positive parts of his character, and he has an extremely big role. So, I mean... This is a movie about people who aren't necessarily inherently bad, making really bad decisions and being tempted by something that an inherently bad, like the MacGuffin in the film is this bad thing that corrupts.
0: Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about the villains because you love Pedro Pascal Mm -hmm. and I did too, but I also love Kristen Wiig. Yes. And I think the point of them was that they aren't bad people. But they're tempted into these bad decisions. And part of the magic in the story and the magic of the stone is that, sure, you get what you really want, what you've wished for, but it takes away an inherent part of you. So Mm -hmm. for Barbara, Kristen Wiig plays Barbara Minerva, and she starts out, you know, not cool and mousy, and people ignore her, and she just wants to be liked, and she wants to be... She wants to have friends and Diana really befriends her. So she wants to be like Diana because she's cool and everyone loves Diana and she does become cooler. The wish is granted and people start to pay attention to her. But it also, there's a, there's a scene where she and Diana are fighting and Diana's like, it's taking away your warmth and your joy and your humanity. And why can't you see that? Mm -hmm. I think those character arcs were really, really interesting because you saw that it was taking away this stuff that made these people them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: With Max Lord, he starts to
1: lose sight of everything, mm-hmm. but you don't really fault them for it. <laughs> no. no, And I mean, Diana's, Diana's wish is to get Steve back, the love of her life, and she starts to lose her powers as a result. hmm So they're all losing something. Max loses sight of his love for his son and the reasons he wanted to be a businessman and make a good life for his son. And Barbara is, you know, becoming like not even a human at some point. Like Mm -hmm. the things that were cool about her being this really intelligent, like she's got a PhD, she's a gemologist, she's really, really smart and kind and empathetic and it's all all gone. Yeah. Yeah. But the
0: reason you don't really fault them is that you can see that they're victims of unfair systems. Yes. And I think that was a really interesting way to go with the villains. Yeah. The
1: gem, in some ways, if you want to get really meta and theoretical here, is the gem is, in a way, a symbol of capitalism. Mm. Because it will give you what you want, but it causes, it reduces empathy creates inequality, and there are huge costs to it on a macro and micro level. Yeah.
0: I remember texting my friend during the movie, (laughs) (laughs) because she had watched it earlier that day, Uh and I was like, I know that Barbara turns out not to be a good person, but I really empathize with her backstory, Mm -hmm. and if she doesn't get redeemed, I will scream. (laughs) 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 And surprisingly... I guess we should have said spoilers at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But surprisingly, they both get redeemed in some way. Mm -hmm. And I was a little disappointed with how not fleshed out Barbara's redemption is. Mm -hmm. But I hope that, you know, it becomes clearer in movie three or in spinoff books or comics or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm just really impressed with how Patty Jenkins was like, we're going (laughs) to... We're going to give you villains, and we're going to make you care about them, and make you care about them enough that you want to see them redeemed, and then we're going to do it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that's important because sometimes I get annoyed with superhero media that seems to just say, well, these guys are just irredeemable baddies, and we're going to stick them in some kind of prison, which is kind of why I quit watching Supergirl and The Flash. Because it seemed like human rights violations were being made <laughs> left and right. It was just sticking these people in some, you know, prison without due process, yeah, and assuming that you can't make them better or make them realize that they've been manipulated by something beyond them. And that inequality will lead to people wanting stuff that they don't have, and they will create means to get it that are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So, it's the systems, man. It's not the. <laughs> Down with the systems. Rage against the machine. That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> but one of the things I talked about a little bit at the beginning that I wanted to touch on again is you don't see Diana with her usual sword and shield in this movie. Oh. And I mean, that was a really cool thing. Obviously, in the first Wonder Woman, it was World War One, So all of that made sense. and. Mm-hmm. I know so many people are in love with the the no man's land scene where she comes up and she's just like ricocheting bullets off her, yeah, <laughs> off yeah. her wristlet thing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit before the movie, I just saw briefly this thing about how Patty Jenkins wanted to explore her other tools, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it was going going to go to that extent where she just didn't even have her sword and shield
1: mm-hmm.
0: but she uses her lasso of truth a lot yeah and she uses her headband mm-hmm. as like a <laughs> boomerang <Yeah>. slash chakram <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like xena yes <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty cool and all of that i think is is tied up into the themes of the movie one of which is truth mm-hmm. because they talk a lot about truth and the the climax. Isn't Wonder Woman like beating someone into submission? It's talking to people. Yeah. And it's her belief in the inherent goodness of humanity Mm -hmm. that saves the day, which is, I think something that a lot of us have a hard time believing in now. Yeah, And it was really refreshing to see that for me.
1: Yeah. And I I like too, that at the very beginning, she's, she's battling some people at this, shopping mall, which again, I think goes into the theme of capitalism being bad, but somebody tries to shoot her and she's able to deflect the bullets. And she also is like, I hate guns. And she's very dismissive, like, "Ugh, you people and your stupid little toys, and she breaks it. And then she's using her lasso of truth to non-lethally deal with these people. And I also think that using her headband as a symbol of, you know, brains over brawn. You know, it's this thing that goes on your head, you have to think you have to strategize and not to keep talking about buffy but that was something i always liked about buffy isn't buffy never used guns she used medieval weaponry and just hand to hand combat and except for being against the undead it was usually non lethal so
0: yeah and i th- i think in this movie diana is very much for subduing her enemies versus killing them yes and she says as much to steve when, when they're both, like, punching some people. <laughs> I think a lot of times we, with superhero movies, we get really caught up in, like, this person is right and everyone else is wrong. So collateral damage is just collateral damage. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciated seeing a different side to a superhero. Yes. And, it, again, it plays into the whole, like, people aren't really the issue. The systems are the issue. So... You know, we're not going to hurt these people because they're just victims of the system. We're going to subdue them so they stop hurting us, but that's all the farther we're going to go.
1: Yeah. yeah. I do want to mention one one little thing that made me happy and also then annoyed both. (laughs) First of all, we finally see a version of Wonder Woman's invisible plane. Mm -hmm. Steve is flying a plane that she's able to make invisible, and it's really cool, and they fly through a Uh, fireworks display and it looks really neat it's very romantic it's beautiful it's beautifully shot and i was like that was the moment i was like i wish i was watching this in a theater this would look so cool you're right yeah so it made me sad but it was really pretty but then (laughs) she learns to fly and she's struggled with that before and i don't agree with having wonder woman have the power of flight Okay. Because different permutations, different versions of her in different media, she sometimes is shown as being able to fly and sometimes not. And I vastly prefer her only being able to like jump really high and kind of float and hover because I just Mm -hmm. think she's very powerful and it's great. But if you have her be able to fly, she's just too much like Superman, Supergirl, the Kryptonians and stuff. And she's not. She's from Earth. And I know that different versions of her she has like godly dna or whatever but i just i don't agree with having her be able to fly i think that we need to have one thing be a little bit different and a little bit fallible and it does not make physics sense for her to be able to fly so that's all i'm saying
0: (laughs) that's that's totally fair i have read some wonder woman comics but i can't really keep all that straight so i don't really have an opinion on that besides that i liked i mean you knew it was coming
1: yeah
0: (laughs) you knew it was coming when steve was like oh flying's easy (laughs) (laughs) you just catch the wind or what and let it ride it or whatever yeah (laughs) and i was like oh she's gonna fly by the end of the movie (laughs) so narratively i thought that that was cool yeah and i like when they put little easter eggs like the invisible jet in there yeah but i don't super have an opinion about whether she should fly or not
1: okay it's fine it's fine if it's a thing that she couldn't fine. do and then learns to do but i liked that you know up until now she's just shown as being able to like she can jump really high like that's mm-hmm. inhuman but i liked that she ultimately couldn't really sustain flight yeah because i i do think too that there there's a reason that superman has kryptonite there's a reason other superheroes have some small thing that if you expose them to it or or whatever, that it, it's a flaw, because otherwise, they're just too powerful and would win all the time. And there's no story. So I think having her not be able to fully fly was always a help that if she got into a situation that would require it, it would be, you know, dangerous or whatever. But otherwise, she's kind of almost indestructible. So mm-hmm.
0: I think there is an argument to be made that she can't actually fly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because she flies from DC to like some radio, some broadcast station or uh-huh. something. Uh-huh. And the others get there on a helicopter, which implies that it's not a super far distance. Yeah. Right? So it could just be a really long leap that she. Extends by using Steve's advice.
1: (laughs) She's just floating on the air.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. I don't know. (laughs) I'll I'll take that. But ultimately, I think you know I did enjoy this. It is one of those things where I might want to watch it again to kind of catch more stuff. It's got some problems. It's not perfect. I'm happy there's going to be a third one. I'm hoping that we get to see it in the theater. I will say too that it was not as 80s as I might have liked, but I also think it was more realistically 80s by not being super 80s. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we both liked it. Like we said earlier, for me, the good things outweighed the problematic things. But if it's if that's not the case for anyone listening, that's totally cool. Yep. We're not ever upset when someone else doesn't like something that we like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's I mean, I think it's I think that it created some good debates that are important to Mm -hmm. have. So yeah. Yeah. And that's great.
0: Yeah. And like you said, there's a third one that's already been greenlit. Mm -hmm. I hope that Patty Jenkins and co, you know, take the feedback from this one into consideration. Mm -hmm. And also, I just want to mention that Patty Jenkins is going to direct Rogue Squadron for Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And sometime in the next ten years, I'm not quite sure when. (laughs) But I'm very excited for that. And I love I love to see women behind the camera. Yes. More and more. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So next week we're gonna be talking about some more fun stuff. We're gonna be talking about the HBO documentary The Mystery of DB Cooper, the HBO series The Undoing. (laughs) And then we're also gonna talk about the Lovecraft Investigations podcast. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And me at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Paws Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop.